this began in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, Holcraft coming to you live from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with me. Another uh, Tuesday evening, reflecting into the richness of our faith, uh, the beauty and the wisdom that comes to us from the great Christian thinkers of primitive Christianity. And as I do every Tuesday, I have John O'Hare joining me. So, John, it is great to have you with me another Tuesday. Thank you, Joe. So, John... I got a question the other day I wanted to bring up before we got going because it really hits uh, the heart of what we are about uh, this evening. And it was really simple. Why spend so much time with the Church Fathers? Now, it was about a 45-minute dialogue, a wonderful dialogue, actually. And and by the end, they really, I think, were appreciating um, the importance of the Church Fathers. And the essence of our conversation was this. And if you've been a faithful listener out there, hopefully you, you know what the answer is going to be. But the essence of it is this. Primitive Christianity gives us those witnesses to the Christian faith that ultimately is the lasting proof that God exists. One man after another, one woman after another, laying down their life for our Lord. These massive persecutions end They were constant in defending the faith. They were constant in defending the heresies of the day. And we can learn so much from them. You know, one St. Augustine says, Oh, beauty, ever ancient, ever new. Yes, oh, beauty, ever ancient, ever new. We can learn from the witness of those men and women who have gone before us in how they defended the faith and word, certainly, but also how they laid down their life. Uh, for our Lord. And before we get too far into any one figure here on this program, we always have to be mindful and appreciate that point, that we imitate Christ perfectly when we give our life to Him entirely, holding nothing back, even if it means giving and turning over our actual life. You know, we spoke a few weeks ago about how Some of these Christians, they were jumping, leaping uh, for the opportunity to die for Christ because it was such an honor, it was such a crown. Uh, So as we talk about these men, we must always have in the rear view mirror uh, what these people are about as it relates to their great and heroic faith. Many died, and it's a great example. Many more lived through it, Mm -hmm. and they are also an example, and they kept the faith I'm thinking of Origen. Origen was not a martyr. He saw many go to their martyrdom and counseled them. But if you want to be a martyr, you don't go throw yourself into the uh, ISIS or whatever is around. You you try your best to survive. You don't just throw it away. Well, and it, it really calls out this need, John, to understand martyrdom also in the, within the context of dying to self each and every day, each and every moment. Yes. Really, I mean, certainly Paul emphasizes this. Uh, it is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. That doesn't happen if we are so caught up in self. We must be constant in turning over our lives to Christ and everything that we do. This is why we've made a point 
to highlight that great passage from Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, where Paul is talking about how his very body is a spiritual worship unto God. And he prays that it might be a holy and acceptable offering to God. I mean, what is he talking about? That everything he does and everything he's about belongs to God. That each and every moment is pregnant with eternal significance. This is how the men that we are talking about, this is how they thought, John. So when we talk about these men and women, certainly to the likes of perpetual felicity, there were many women who were going to uh, their grave for the sake of Christ. So, yeah, we talk about some of these nuances as it relates to uh, the ways in which they were explaining the faith, and certainly they offer us a great insight there. But their life was a testimony worth talking about. And how important is that? Uh, And it's interesting. The other thing that we can learn from them is the whole heresy piece. What does the word heresy mean? It actually means opinion. So Christ came to reveal the fullness of truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. No, the way. There is an imperative sense here, John. He is absolute truth, absolute holiness. He is the sum goal of anything and everything that we do. So to suggest that uh, our Christian faith has to do with opinion, we have to be very careful. So ultimately, what we've been talking about over the last five months is this kind of struggle to gain insight into Christ's words on what he was telling us. Of course, by the grace of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we've come to better understand with sacred scripture as the seed of every truth, ultimately, what the Trinity's all about, what creation's all about, what the incarnation's all about. We're going to talk about more, that, uh, more about that today. So, Correct. Um, what did Christ actually say? Well, Christ left us, and the people who were with him knew what he said, and it was mm-hmm. important to get that right, and people immediately after were in the best position to try to get this correct. Yeah. Now, I can't think of a single thing they did in the early church, any doctrine that they had in the early church, <clears throat> we are now up to 300, that isn't part of the church today, you know? Yeah. And yeah. as we mentioned before, Christ is truth. Truth does not change. Politics will change. Mm-hmm. There were no democracies, no constitutional governments, we have it right now. I don't know what we're going to have 500 years from now, but <laughs> or, that can change. Or 10 years yeah, from now. Right, <laughs> you know, 10 years from now, yes. Yeah, yeah and, and so we, we have this figure this evening, St. Athanasius, uh, one of the great uh, fathers of the Church, one of the great patristics. He was. He was born in 297 in Alexandria, and he died in 373, so he lived a pretty long time. He was not a martyr. And um, he was the Bishop of Alexandria. That was his major job, shall we say. He was born of Christian parents, had an excellent uh, classical education in Greek literature, philosophy, rhetoric, and Christian doctrine, and uh, he became early on a deacon to the bishop of Alexandria, Bishop Alexander of Alexandria. And nearby was Saint Anthony in the hermit, uh, Mm -hmm. the desert hermit. Now, in 325, we have the Council of Nicaea, but just before that, uh, he wrote his master, a masterpiece, The Incarnation. Mm-hmm. Now, he wrote this at about age 21, so this guy was smart from the get-go. Mm-hmm. He went to the Council of Nicaea with Bishop Alexander, and there they condemned Arius, and uh, he was part of—Athanasius uh, uh, was part of that. And uh, shortly thereafter, Bishop Alexander died, and Athanasius was elected bishop 
of Alexandria, a major C, and he was young. He was in his what, mid-20s, mm -hmm. and there mm -hmm. was huge jealousy. Yeah, and just by way of uh, a reminder uh, for our listeners here, John, what is Arianism? I mean, this is probably uh, one of the greatest heresies in the history of church. Essentially, Arianism wanted to diminish Christ's divinity, as well as the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he he kind of saw Christ as halfway between God and man. In many ways, there's kind of a new Arianism today. But in essence, when we talk about Arianism, uh, there's not a full appreciation in its most simple terms of Christ fully human and fully divine. Correct. Christ was not fully divine, according to Arius. Yeah. This sprang up around 320, and by the time of the Council of Nicaea 325, it was big. Mm-hmm. And it eventually brought in Constantine the emperor. I don't know whether it's because he believed it or whether he just wanted peace. Does he know, hey, all I want is peace in mm -hmm. my empire. Christianity seems to be the official religion. Let's not worry about how orthodox it is. Yeah. As, yeah, as history books tell us, as it relates to Constantine, it was really about <laughs> keeping that political peace. But for Athanasius, it was so much more. Absolutely. Yeah, and so this is why the incarnation was so important to him. One of the little uh, nicknames he had in a book I read, the champion of orthodoxy, mm -hmm. and that he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was an athlete for Christ, for sure. Yes. Withstanding the test of time. One of the things that really lies at the heart of this battle between Arius and St. Athanasius was coming to a deeper understanding of, okay, if he's divine, why? What, what's the point? And so... What he gives us in his work on the Incarnation, of course, the Incarnation is uh, God becoming flesh, right? John 1.14, the flesh dwelt among us, is so that we might better appreciate, as St. Uh, Athanasius would put it, God's accessibility to us and our accessibility to God. That if Christ is fully human and fully divine, which he is, then what does that mean for us? He teaches us then how to be better human beings by reaching for the divine. Right. He gives us the grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might be, and this is in the language of St. Athanasius, deified in God. This was a very important phrase to Athanasius. I mean, what are you talking about, deified in God, deified? What, what is that language? Essentially, he is saying that in the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the cross, we are made more like God the more we learn from the ways of Christ. Why did I open up with what I opened up with uh, this evening, John? Is because that imitatio of Christ is really about dying to self. And we can better appreciate and understand what we go through each and every day when we begin to read works like St. Athanasius's The Incarnation because we can begin to appreciate that all of our suffering, all of our trial, everything that we go for, it's, it's not for naught, yeah. right? What does Paul say? What does Peter say? What does St. Athanasius talk about? We rejoice in our sufferings for the sake of the church. How is it that you put joy and suffering in the same sentence? That's the paradox of the Christian vision. When we begin to understand what it's all about, then we go deeper and deeper into our faith, and then we can begin to appreciate that as long as we are vested with the flesh— we can offer this to God, and it could be something that actually brings us more joy. Take up my cross and follow me. That's how you find happiness. Amen. A little aside, the Incarnation is only 50 pages long, in case any of our listeners would like to read it. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a line here I wanted to read from that work. Uh, Benedict quotes it here. Uh, he says, The word of God was made man so that we might be made God. And he manifested himself through a body so that we might receive the idea of the unseen father. And he endured the insolence of men that we might inherit immortality. That's a great, great line. With his resurrection, in fact, the Lord banished death from us like straw from the fire. You know, beautiful. And so the idea here is, what's the passage from Matthew 1? Emmanuel, God is with us. We can truly say in the incarnation, as Athanasius would put it, God is with us. You know, the flesh dwelt among us. It's interesting. John 1.14, the Greek tabernaculus. You know, we, I think most of our listeners are familiar with the word tabernacle, where the consecrated host abides. And even generally for non-Catholics, you know, the tabernacle of the Old, uh, Old Testament, the presence of God. Well, that is what that word actually means. The flesh dwelt among us. Yeah. So it's, it's the presence of God in our midst and that we can draw from that source and that energy. Uh, Irenaeus certainly had a cross to carry. He is a saint who had to live out of a suitcase. He was kicked out of Alexandria five times mm-hmm. and came back five times. He was always be, he had enemies, Arians, and they were in, we'll say, cahoots with uh, politicians. And he had uh, lots of people that uh, wanted to have someone else in that important see. And I, we should bring out that about 337, I believe, Constantine died. Mm-hmm. And his three sons inherited the throne and Rome you got to realize the Roman Empire was starting to fall into the history books right about this time. Mm -hmm. By about 400, the barbarians were within eyesight of Mm -hmm. Rome. Yeah, it's interesting, John, as you talk about this, uh, these exiles, there's a number of important points to be had. Uh, the first of which historically, <laughs> you know, 1700 years later, a whole lot does not change. Here you have Arius who knows people in high places, you know, people who are close to the emperor. So uh, he would start rumor mills to get Athanasius exiled, yes. right? <laughs> I mean, five different exiles over a course of 17 years. Yes. I mean, 17 years of exile, and he would intermittently come back by the the graciousness of some emperors, but other emperors didn't like him, Uh so he's going back and forth. I mean, imagine being exiled that many times for that long, how we would just give up. But here you have a man, a saintly man, who makes use of every minute, every second, huh? Uh -huh. He spent six of those years, John, with the the Saint uh, Anthony you already mentioned, the founder of religious life, the founder of monasticism. He was, historically speaking, the first monk. Now, Catholic or non-Catholic out there, I I think um, all of our listeners have heard the word monk before, right? Monk, from the Latin monos, meaning alone. He was the first to do it alone, you know, not not without Jesus Christ. He was, uh, he saw this bustling metropolis, and he said, you want to know what? I'm not getting my quiet time. So he goes out into the desert, And to make a long story short, John, he impacted thousands of lives by his holiness. Uh, Many turned to him for spiritual direction, one of which was one Athanasius, right? Yes, he was out there early on, and they were friends, but he, uh, Athanasius, chose to lead his life in the urban area. I just want to point out that uh, the people in Alexandria loved him. 
Oh, yes. When he was oh, exiled, yes. they wanted him back. Yes. There was something about Athanasius that <clears throat> people respected and admired. They knew he was a good bishop. He was a saintly person. And they wanted him back, and, and they kept getting him back on five separate occasions. Yeah. And it's interesting, as it <clears throat> relates to that relationship with St. Anthony, um, how important that became for the history of the Church. We talk about these exiles. We talk about St. Athanasius spending six years with this first monk, St. Anthony, and what that means to uh, our history books. After St. Anthony of Egypt had died, he soon thereafter really put pen to paper and wrote a book called The Life of St. Anthony, which, historically speaking, for the fourth uh, century, if we can say, was a bestseller. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, we talk about that, you know, if we write a book, we want to get on the New York Times bestseller list, right? Well, this was a bestseller, and everyone uh, was taken by this life. And really, it was about his piety. See, it's interesting. St. Anthony of Egypt left two sheepskins yes. behind as his legacy. Well, one of those sheepskins was given to one St. Athanasius. So I think that really highlights uh, the, the relationship. A there. sheepskin being something he wrote on. Yes. Yeah, because that, that was much better than papyrus at yes. preserving what you were writing. Yes, so very important. Now, as we talk about the Incarnation, John, as we talk about uh, the life of St. Anthony, he did have other writings that were very important, uh, one of which was a series of letters he wrote which focused on the Holy Spirit, because Arius also believed, we cannot forget, he also believed that the Holy Spirit was not of, of the divine uh, essence. So very important to be mindful of uh, the man that we are talking about and uh, what we owe him. Because for Catholics now, John, I think a lot of us are going to be familiar with this, some of the, the, the changes during the Mass, some of the um, words. When we pray the Creed today, we use the word consubstantial, right? And a lot of people were asking me the question, what does consubstantial mean? What is this all about? I mean, I, this doesn't make any sense to me. Well, that translates to homoousia. Well, what is homoousia about? It's to simply say that Christ is of the same essence of God. And because Christ is of the same essence of the Father, then the love that they share, right, is the same essence. And of course, this is the Holy Spirit. So this was all very important. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, John, how important is this? What were we just talking about as it relates to being deified in God? Uh, what gift are we given so as to give us the strength and grace necessary to be deified in God, but the gift of the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit is that love shared between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the essence of God. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. This past Monday, I was in an argument with a, a member of my church about consubstantial, because that was added to the liturgy rather recently, and it was co-equal or something before that. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I mean, consubstantial is a big word. Homoousius is the Greek word that it comes from. Yeah. And this stuff is huge. I mean, it's important to get this stuff right at the beginning. Had we gone Arius's way, heaven knows where we would be. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's almost nerve-wracking to look back and see how close these things came. I mean, look back over the history of our own country, how close things came to going one way. Fortunately, they went the right way. And back in early Christianity, people like uh, Athanasius and other people were able to keep the church on track. Amen. And yeah, John, it's important to note why is this so important? We've talked about, you know, a little bit last week, but it is to say that... <laughs> 
He is not a secondary God. I mean, this was the language that was beginning to sift through, you know, as, as Arius was beginning to uh, dumb down the, the language of Christ's divinity, that he was like the second God or in between God and man. No, he is the true God. And it is through our communion with Christ that we can truly be united to God. I mean, this is what the Gospel of John speaks to so much about. And so, again, really a lot of this that we're talking about here this evening, John, is, is sacred scripture. So we have to be in tune with this. I'm going to guess that Arius is an outgrowth of Gnosticism, which we talked about earlier in, in our talks, and it developed into this Arian business. Gnosticism, remember, was in, from Plato, where ideas are the real thing. And, uh, and if you really want to understand Christ really was, uh, you know, anything that's material is bad. That was mm-hmm. one of their, one, it was one of their, they had numerous different tenets, but I think er, everything that's material is bad. The good was in your, material was thoughts. And uh, I guess that's where this came from. Yeah, I mean, very much, John, because when you think about it, it is this downgrading of the flesh. And so, again, it brings us back to that question of what is the importance of the flesh? You know, he came as a redeemer of the flesh. And it really highlights, too, John, how we are to really soak ourselves in this incarnational theology. What do I mean by that? It does not only mean to put flesh on the skeleton. It also means to bear life where there was an absence of life, right? This is what the incarnation is about, bringing life into a world where there was death. And this is how we are called to live, to bring life and love where there's an absence of it. We have spoken on many occasions, John, that when we talk about the culture of death, really what we're talking about is the absence of love. So it is our job and duty to bring love into the world where it is lacking. You know, we we move from the unseen to the seen, from the immaterial to the material, from the soul to the body, from the spirit to the flesh. Yes. Very important. Yes. Athanasius kept on. I mean, he there was emperor after emperor, and uh, one gentleman was Julian the Apostate. He died. The guy who came after him, I think his name was Joven or something like that. Very good, uh, but he only lasted about eight months, and then he was replaced by a guy named Valens, I think. Valens was bad, and Athanasius gets, or uh, you know, gets exiled again. But he keeps at it. Emperor after emperor, some were, were were okay to him, and some hostile. But he just kept at it. He kept that steady course, and I have to admire him through all of this. He was right there. I mean, th- things were not easy for him, but he was steady. He was the athlete for Christ. And he was a champion of orthodoxy. Amen, John. And you know what's important to, to consider as we uh, move kind of to a close of our program here in these last four minutes is that he was a man who embodied what he had written about, right? I mean, you, you were not exiled on five separate occasions. You were not exiled for a span of 17 years and endure that and withstand it and actually use it as something, as, as he would put it, a gift from God, if you are not steeped in a relationship with the Incarnation. He wrote so beautifully and so well about the Incarnation because he knew the Incarnation personally. He was not talking about some abstract God. And I've got to believe that on every level, as we talk about St. Athanasius, he was able to endure all that he endured because he embodied 
the very person that he wrote about. It's to no surprise that he was so staunch. I mean, as we talk about this intermittent back and forth, it's not like he went back into uh, Alexandria and was complacent. I mean, he went, when he went back into Alexandria as bishop, he was all pistons firing. And he wasn't going to hold back. And this is part of the reason why he was kicked out again. And then when he'd come back, he would, you know, be the same St. Athanasius. He'd be kicked out again. I mean, this is his perseverance. This is his, his working through his understanding of the Incarnation and putting it into practice. C.S. Lewis, in an introduction to his work I read before this, indicated the same thing. He was, he was quite um, adamant in his viewpoints, and he might have upset some people. Uh, you know, but he was not going to uh, go back on the incarnation. Not going to go back to the fact that Christ is God and man, mm-hmm. and uh, he stuck to that. And uh, I, I think that tenaciousness was uh, an important part of his, uh, shall we say, saintly life. Not all saints have to be tenacious, but that was his style. Uh, and he was a bishop, and he stuck with it. Yeah. Well, and what did Paul say? Yes. I mean, <laughs> what did Paul say? Paul writes to Timothy. And he says, hand on the treasure, hand on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Be defenders of the faith. When you talk about defending something, sometimes that means you're going to have to go to battle, right? It doesn't always mean that you're drawing back. No, you have to go to battle. And St. Athanasius went to battle, and his armor was Jesus Christ, (laughs) fully human, fully divine. It's funny, you go into some of that Greek that Paul writes to Timothy, mm-hmm. you know, the, the paratheke, that the handing on is treasure. Yeah. You know, treasure. I think we talked about this, say, a month ago, John. Treasure. Hand on the treasure. And the treasure that you're, you, you are called to hand on is about Jesus Christ, fully human, fully divine. Don't back down. Be a stalwart. Be a defender of the faith. Uh, one little story I heard from uh, Father Groeschel. Um, there's a Jewish delicatessen in New York. And I don't think there's a very good, but I don't think there's a line. I think you kind of force your way to the front and say, hey, I want my ham sandwich this way. <laughs> and Rochelle says, St. Paul would feel right at home in that delicatessen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Amen. And it's good to be reminded of this, you know, mm-hmm. because there's a tendency to look at our faith in a very soft way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people out there that maybe they want the teddy bear Jesus. I don't know, or the, the Pillsbury Doughboy Jesus, as mm-hmm. one Peter Kreft said, you know. We have to appreciate the importance of what it means to defend the faith. We have to appreciate men like St. Athanasius who would not back down. Uh, Very important. I mean, Arius, John, I mean, this heresy grew exponentially over a course of 45, 50 Mm. years. So we needed a man like Athanasius. Well, we're out of time here, John. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now and never shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.